0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. They take care of our air conditioning. You can check them out and give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and author of many books, his latest, What Makes Humans? Truly exceptional. It is October the 13th and on this day in 1775, the Continental Congress authorized construction and administration of the first American naval force, the precursor to the United States Navy. Since the outbreak of the open hostilities with the British in April, little consideration had been given to protection by sea until Congress received news that a British naval fleet was on its way. In November, the Continental Navy was uh, formally organized and on December 22nd, Isaac Hopkins was appointed the first commander-in-chief of the Continental uh, Navy. Congress also named four captains to the new service, Dudley Stantonstall, Abraham Whipple, Nicholas Biddle, and John Burroughs Hopkins. They have respective vessels of the 24-gun frigates Alfred and the Columbus and the 14-gun brigs uh, Andrew Doria and Cabot. As well as three schooners, the Hornet, the Wasp, and the Fly became the first ships of the Navy's fleet. Five first lieutenants, including future uh, American hero John Paul Jones, five uh, second lieutenants and three third lieutenants also received their commissions. Admiral Hopkins, as he was dubbed by George Washington, was the first tasked with assessing the feasibility of attack on British naval forces in the Chesapeake Bay. After sailing south with his meager force of eight ships, Hopkins decided that victory in such an encounter was impossible. He sailed to the Bahamas instead, where he attacked the British port of Nassau, a decision which he was was relieved of his command upon returning to the continent. During the American Revolution, the Continental Navy successfully preyed on British merchant ships and won several victories over British warships. This first naval force was disbanded after the war, what is now known as the United States Navy was formally established with the creation of the Federal Department of Navy in April 1798. Again, I refer you to uh, Patrick O'Donnell's The Indispensables, a terrific read about what happened during the Revolutionary War and the great odds that uh, the revolutionaries faced against the British, especially since they're, they're a very strong Navy. Such an interesting story. Well, public schools in Lee and Collier counties reported about 70% fewer coronavirus cases among students and staff over the last 30 days following a record-breaking start to the school year. As of Monday, new cases in Lee schools dropped 67% since September the 10th, while infections in Collier plummeted 80%, according to the news press analysis of data. That's pretty impressive. So you may recall when this, uh, This uh, Delta variant started up some concerns that it was going to have a bad influence and uh, impression on kids. Well, it turns out that this has dropped substantially. And that's good news uh, for Floridians and here for us on the Paradise Coast. Florida's Leon County is facing a $3.57 million fine for mandating vaccines for its 714 employees. The newspaper said, uh, this is the Tallahassee Democrat, said the mandate by Leon County... Victor Long applied to all of its employees except those who fell under a select few exceptions. The deadline for meeting the requirements was October the 2nd. A total of 14 workers were dismissed after they declined to get the vaccine. A violation notice from the Florida Department of Health was sent to the county officials on October the 6th. Leon County government has assessed a total fine of $3,570,000. Florida Department of Health and Division Douglas Woodleaf. Wrote, payment must be made within 30 days of the final order in this matter, indicating check or money order was acceptable. So pay up. <laughs> Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has said in mid September he would not allow Floridians to be fired because of the vaccine mandate. This is just great news. So proud. The decision making of this governor is just astounding when you compare it to what's happening in other states across the union. Well, on the other hand, the White House on Tuesday warned Republican governors of Texas and Florida that President Joe Biden would override their efforts to fight coronavirus uh, vaccine mandates in their states. We know the federal law overrides state law, she said, referring to state-exempt attempts to ban vaccine passports. Now, this would be Jen Psaki saying this. She's just dead wrong. She doesn't understand the Constitution. But that said... She accused Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Texas Governor Greg Abbott of playing politics by issuing executive orders that fight vaccine passports. Why would you be taking steps to prevent the saving of lives That is more difficult to save lives across the country or in any state, she asked. Psaki argued that the governors were putting politics ahead of public health. Every leader should be focused on supporting efforts to save lives and end the pandemic, she said. Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued an executive order Monday banning any entity in Texas from requiring vaccine mandates for their employees or their customers. In yet another instance of federal government overreach, the Biden administration is now bullying private entities into imposing COVID-19 vaccine mandates, causing workforce disruptions that threaten Texas' continued recovery from the COVID-19 disaster, he wrote. This is uh, Abbott, Greg Abbott. uh, DeSantis signed legislation in May banning vaccine passports in Florida. On Tuesday, announced fines for Leon County for firing 14 employees. We must protect the jobs of Floridians and preserve the ability of Florida and Floridians to make their own decisions regarding the shots to take, he said. Biden announced his intention in September to enact a new rule requiring all businesses over 100 employees to require their workers to get vaccinated for the coronavirus or lose their jobs. The rule, currently being drafted by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, <clears throat> has yet to be released, though so Pasaki told reporters it would be released soon. Bottom line is, we're going to continue to implement the law which the President of the United States has ability, authority, and legal authority to do, she said. Oh, By the way, Jen, <laughs> it's not a law. There is no law passed. It's executive order. And second of all, uh, well, according to the Constitution, there is no uh, right the president has to impose these mandates on private companies, and I really question whether he can impose it on uh, public and uh, or citizens within working in the government. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> the CEO, by the way, Gary Kelly spoke to George Stephanopoulos of ABC News on Tuesday when he said there was no going to be no one going to be fired for not being vaccinated. Now, he's from uh, Southwest Airlines. We're not going to fire any employees over this, he said. That's kind of interesting, considering what's going on with regard to flights at Southwest Airlines. And uh, most believe, uh, even though it's being denied officially, that this uh, walkout by pilots and employees at Southwest has everything to do with the the vaccine mandates. A federal judge in Texas issued a temporary restraining order against United Airlines on Wednesday blocking the airline from imposing a vaccine mandate against any of its employees in a nationwide class action lawsuit. According to the judicial order, which could be the first of its kind in the country against a coronavirus vaccine mandate, United Airlines is prohibited from placing employees with religious and medical exemptions on unpaid leave until October 26 while litigation continues. The judge also prohibited the airline from denying any employee requests for religious or medical exemptions. Previously, the airline did not allow employees to apply for exemption after August 31st. Earlier in the case, the airline agreed on its own accord to postpone its vaccine mandate until October the 15th for employees with exemptions during a litigation. The day before October the 8th hearing, however, United filed a partial motion to dismiss, alleging the court lacked jurisdiction over the claims in the lawsuit. In order to allow the uh, court reasonable time to respond to the judicial challenge in the rule in an evidentiary hearing for the preliminary injunction, which was reset for Wednesday, the judge issued this uh, temporary restraining order. (coughs) United Airlines originally told its 67,000 U.S. employees they must be vaccinated against coronavirus or secure an exemption by September the 27th or face termination. As the airline's vaccine mandate stands, any employees with exemptions would still be considered employed but would be placed on unpaid leave and would lose their benefits for up to six years or until the airline deems pandemic conditions safe for unvaccinated employees to return. This is just unconscionable. And this is what's going on in our country right now because of the very poor leadership of uh, this president, Joe Biden. And uh, what he's causing now is a lot of fear, a lot of it's medical ar- apartheid, actually, that's going on right now in the United States. And uh, this is going to decimate the police force. It's going to decimate law enforcement. It's going to decimate uh, fire protection. It's going to decimate uh, both public and private enterprise. Uh, these mandates that the that the uh, president is mandating. How you know we said earlier that uh, Desantis is making great decisions. I can't imagine making poor decisions than this president is making right now. The segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, Johnson's Air Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting
1: Network. I'm Bob Hardin, the host of The Bob Hardin Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music, and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly staff has been part of Lulubee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulubees offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulubees Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8am until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
0: Show. And now here's your
1: host, Bob Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app and find out more by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author. He's written several books. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Great to be with you,
1: Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C. and focused on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot on the web.
1: Thank you, Bob. Uh, we were discussing inequality, the concept of inequality, big, big topic, equity and so forth, regard to this administration. I want to pick up on a co- uh, comment and uh, get your comments on this Triumph of Justice, a uh, recent study that has been completed. Maybe you can tell us about it.
2: Yeah, this is by says and Zuckman. They, it's been cited as justification for all forms of redistrib- redistributive policies because the authors reported that uh, the tax rate paid by the richest 400 families was less than the tax rate paid by the bottom half of households. But there are some serious problems with this study. First of all, the denominator of the income. It includes all corporate profits, even the corporate profits that are not even paid to the shareholders. The corporation keeps the profits. It also includes state and local taxes. Which, uh, as you know, these sales taxes and payroll taxes are regressive. So it's not just federal income tax. And it includes a lot of indirect taxes Fees like drivers and business licenses, which are fixed across the income classes and make it look as though the lower class is being taxed at a, at a higher rate. But most important, the study does not include refundable tax credits like the earned income tax credit. And critically, it ignores all the transfer payments, Social Security, Medicare, food stamps, and welfare, which make a huge difference in terms of the income distribution.
1: Yes, <laughs> but, but it has credibility for some reason. That's, yeah, well,
2: among the liberal press, it's gotten great exposure.
1: Wow. So so doesn't capitalism inevitably lead to greater inequality?
2: Well, I think, You know, I think you have to distinguish between two strikingly different groups of upper-income folks. Uh, first, there are folks that produce wealth by supplying goods and services that satisfy market needs. But second there are these crony capitalists who who seek their bounty from the bureaucrats in Washington and the, and then they dispense their largesse, uh, the politicians to to the folks that have influence and capitalism rewards innovation mm-hmm. and and uh, it, it is true that it, that innovation can exacerbate inequality because innovators accumulate large fortunes but these new products that they come with Come up with, create jobs, and generate taxes, and satisfy consumer needs, and improve the standard of living of millions of Americans. So, do we really want to discourage products like iPhones by limiting the rewards to Steve Jobs? And wouldn't we? Would we be better off if Jeff Bezos didn't earn his billions of dollars? I
1: don't think so. I don't think so either. In fact, you mentioned uh, 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 Apple. Uh, the uh, Founder uh, ended up uh, dying at age 56, and apparently his the anniversary of that was just the other day. But the point being is that he left Apple. The country company was going down the tubes. He came back right. and uh, put it back on good stead. So I mean, he definitely uh, he, his it was a multiplier, multi multiplier of wealth because of his presence and his leadership at Apple.
2: Absolutely. And I'm much more inclined to praise him for the iPhone and all other sorts of innovation than I am to, to condemn him because he happened to have more money than I do.
1: Absolutely. So can we promote social justice without government, government redistributing our income?
2: Well, I, I think it's, you know, it's morally right to help the poor. But in a completely free society, we should have a political right not to do so. Even if the exercise of the right not to do so in some circumstances might be considered heartless. But, you know, put it differently, a, a theory of justice is not always congruent with a theory of politics. So you can condemn selfishness without empowering the government to take remedial action. The primary function of government is not to compel us to be moral, to be good people. Governments are instituted among men. Said Thomas Jefferson to secure unalienable rights, including the pursuit of happiness. And it's the right to pursue happiness, not necessarily the right to be happy, that the social contract uh, secures.
1: So interesting. So So is the U.S. economic system the standard by which we should judge capitalism?
2: I don't think so, because the U.S. (laughs) is not an example of laissez faire capitalism. I mean, capitalism requires four key ingredients, you have to have consenting adults, you have to have good information on which to base their decisions, you have to give them free choice, and you have to protect the rights of folks who are innocent bystanders. And government's role ought to be limited to creating an environment where those four ingredients can exist. Mm -hmm. But regrettably, in the U.S., I mean, government does a heck of a lot more. It burdens us with taxes and regulations. Sometimes it suppresses information that we ought to have. Mm -hmm. It favors politically connected special interests in Washington, D.C. It coerces parties to engage in unwanted transactions, like buying health insurance, for example. It transfers resources without consent from one party to another party. And furthermore, the U.S. government has, I think regrettably, assumed the role of the world's policeman and all of the associated costs. Uh, And those are a few of the reasons why markets and the U.S. occasionally underperform. So you can't blame those failures on capitalism. That's a matter of government intervention.
1: Certainly is, Bob. So let's explore the success of welfare state socialism in other countries. What's the long-term trend here?
2: Well, the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, Reports that inequality has actually grown faster over the past three decades in Sweden, Germany, Israel, Finland, New Zealand. You know, despite their their welfare systems, than than it has in the U.S. But these cross-country comparisons are very difficult because mm-hmm. so many of the variables uh, can't be held constant, and therefore it's tough to make these kinds of uh, experimental. Conclusions as you might in a scientific laboratory.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. There's different cultures in different countries as well. I mean, de Tocqueville pointed out our culture that was so unique all the way back in the 1800s. And, uh, for example, I'm, I'm aware that in some social, quote-unquote, socialist countries like Denmark, they actually, there's a real uh, shame on being on welfare, of losing your job. Uh, yeah, but, uh, right. you know, that's not the case across the world, is it? I mean, that's... Uh, well,
2: it's not even the case. United States. I'm sorry.
1: No, it isn't. So is the uh, U.S. economic system the standard by which we should judge capitalism? I think we just talked about that, didn't we?
2: Well, I think capitalism sh- should be judged both on Im- moral and empirical uh, grounds. Uh, it's the only economic arrangement consistent with personal liberty. So you know, even if I were convinced, which I'm not, that welfare state socialism produces uh, greater average wealth or a fairer distribution of wealth in capitalism, I I wouldn't choose to live under a socialist system. Uh, So, you know, our preoccupation with equality, I think, is harmful to the people that we're trying to help. Uh, We should not want equal outcomes, inequality, or more precisely, aspirations for great success. That's the incentive that triggers uh, productiveness and innovation and entrepreneurship, all of which... Worked at the benefits of the of the middle class. So we, we should be cheering for inequality, as long as it derives from private achievement and not from government favoritism.
1: Yeah. And the interesting thing is that you sit back and watch what's going on. It's actually the, the political class, the elite the political class, that is trying to help itself, not necessarily the poor. They use the poor and the disadvantaged as an excuse for their uh, draconian policies, in my opinion. Indeed. Bob, believe me again, chairman of the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit the very robust website, Cato.org, dot org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great
2: to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa. He's a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: or of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting Network. Back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, not only building a performing arts center in downtown Naples, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and tickets are on sale now. You can find out more by visiting the website, Playhouse.org. Coming up, going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, with everything that's going on right now, I always like to take a step back, and uh, you focus on culture which precedes politics. Uh, what do you see as our state of our nation right now?
3: Well, um, I'll get to that in one second, because I think that's that's the major issue on the table right now, Bob. But let me just start out with uh, let's go, Brandon. Now, for your listeners who don't know what that means, I will not go into it, but they should look it up. I think it's a meaningful way to express yourself in, in today's America. So let's go, Brandon. Um, as, as I've been doing every week, Bob, I, I start to search for some good news and, um, there is some but it becomes more and more uh, of a limited supply a, a federal judge uh, in new york has granted uh, an injunction against the covid-19 a mandate for healthcare workers based on religious exemption so he's uh, prevented the uh, the mandate from being imposed on them at this point uh, not a major story but at least it's an indication of some uh, awareness of uh, of the, the rights of a people particularly religious rights in a society uh another set of good news bob uh, actually is for those that are not vaccinated uh most of the recent data and i've been uh, pretty much invested in this from the beginning but uh the vaccinated right now vaccinated are three times more likely to die from the delta variant three times more likely to die than the unvaccinated 62 mm-hmm. percent uh, of all deaths from COVID-19 are occurring in the already vaccinated. A Harvard study that we just released said uh, that the vaccinated are 27 27 times higher risk of symptomatic COVID-19 than those with natural immunity. Now, I am not trying to suggest that I'm against vaccination. I am not personally against it. I've been vaccinated. I think it's the appropriate way to go for uh, particularly the vulnerable, uh, the the aged vulnerable particularly. Uh, but on the other hand, I think we have to look at this, uh, this outrageous mandating of this uh, vaccine uh, that in many cases is not only not needed, but it can be documented as in fact being destructive by many measurements, Bob.
1: I think that's so accurate. And uh, again, it should come down to individual choice. And here yeah, we have laws on the books that suggest that your medical information is your private information and sharing it, especially in the workplace, is absolutely illegal. And yet here we are uh, with a situation the president's mandating max, uh, vaccine mandates and is creating medical and health care apartheid, my opinion.
3: Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, privacy is all but gone in America. If we look at what you just said as a starting point, and then we add in the, the $600 monitoring provision for banks that's uh, probably going to get approved, where every transaction of $600 will be made available to the government. Now, it's just not their business as to where anyone spends or gets their money. Uh, so essentially, if somebody, uh, just as a wild example, is, is spending $601 on pornography, uh, they may not want that that release. The specifics of it are certainly not in the domain of government. But we're looking at the, the, the COVID intrusion. We're looking at the banking intrusion. Uh, and this is a growing phenomenon where privacy ha- has all but been eliminated in, in America at this point, Bob.
1: A uh, very discouraging statement on your part, but you're absolutely right. Apparently, the the statement is, "Hey, we're going to have this banking intrusion in our lives." The question is, whether the the threshold of six hundred or ten thousand dollars or something in between. But Nancy Pelosi has been pretty clear that this is the direction we're going to go. Uh, and, and, you know, first of all, the income tax is intrusive in and of itself. We should we should pay taxes, clearly, but doing it through the income and, and all the information the government ta- gathers on us is just absolutely not appropriate, in my opinion.
3: We should. Well, it, I, I agree with your opinion, Bob, uh, in most cases, and this is one of them. Uh, <laughs> this is something I wasn't going to go into, but I've always had a feeling about the 1913 uh, income tax uh, amendment to the Constitution that it is inherently unconstitutional in the sense that when I trade my time and efforts for someone else's uh, salary, uh, there was a, a, a net zero process to that. In other words, I am giving something of value and getting something of value. I have no increase in the, the general well-being as a derivative of my having traded me for their dollars. So uh, that that's a longer philosophic discussion, but I it's, it's always been on my mind that when you pass an amendment that allows the federal government to not just tax income as they are allowed, but tax can allow them to tax it at 100% of income. In other words, there's no restraining cap on the uh, ability of the federal government to tax their income. This is something that 1913 was really a bad year. That was the, the 17th Amendment, the elimination of uh, legislative uh, appointment of senators, and the 16th Amendment, which was the income tax. And uh, perhaps we can look at that year as the defining year of the... The start of
1: the decline of America, Bob. Uh, so interesting. You're absolutely right. I, I can't let go of the fact that you start out with "Let's Go Brandon" <laughs> in the show. But Let's you, go, Brandon. But here's the thing. I mean, that, that was that was pretty creative on the part of that reporter that came up with that. Listening to the chant in the background of. Uh, uh, F Joe Biden is basically the chant of the but it's happening. It's happening all over the United States, and now at the Vatican, it's happening in Italy. Uh, no matter where you look, you turn, you're seeing, hearing this at the Iowa football game. It's unbelievable.
3: If you go onto Amazon and put in "Let's Go Brandon" as a product uh, uh, search, you will find dozens of existing T-shirts and hats and bumper stickers. <laughs> you know, in a limited space of a couple of weeks, Bob, the entire wonderful American capitalist system has harnessed that that phrase and is now making making a lot of money off it so uh, it's it's interesting it allows the public to say something without saying something and I, I think that's a good thing at this point Bob
1: absolutely but and it also speaks volumes about the sentiments that Americans have towards their president right now at 56 percent of the people believe he wasn't elected uh, legally that, it, that there was uh, fraud involved in the whole process. So
3: Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt that there was fraud, Bob. The, the numbers that were involved, I speak loudly to that. Uh, you know, I think the debate might be were the numbers big enough that can be defined as fraud to have changed the election results. I certainly believe they, they were. Uh, but again, I, I don't think that to someone to suggest there was no fraud is absurd. Right. Uh, there may be a minimal debate about whether that fraud was significant enough to change the outcome of the election. But uh, I certainly believe it was. I think that for Joe Biden to have received 80 million votes uh, is absolutely ridiculous to even consider that potential.
1: Okay, so let's just take a step back, and then we've talked about how we're going to characterize the United States of America right now, and uh, you've characterized them as a, a nation of entrepreneurs, of people who are charitable, giving, a number of things, but uh, with everything that's going on with regard to a move towards a socialist a, a, a accumulation of power, uh, centralization, uh, all the things that are going on, what, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, let me deal with something that's, in that regard, that's that's controversial. I'll try to be uh, articulate enough to uh, to make my point and have it be understood. Uh, if we go back to the Bolsheviks in the, let's say, the twenties, uh, and someone was to ask uh, what Russia is, what the Soviet Union uh, is at that point, it would have been definable only under one one word: the Bolsheviks. It had to be the Bolsheviks. In other words, there was no other uh, resistance you had. Earlier on, the Mensheviks, you had the white Russians, but essentially Russia was, the in the entirety of its being, was Bolshevik at right. that point. The same thing with the Nazi party in, in Germany. If someone had asked what Germany was in 1935, it was the Nazis. There was no uh, competing uh, interests. You did have uh, the White Rose Group. You had the clergy to a certain extent. But essentially, the defining uh, element of Germany in the mid-30s and beyond, obviously, uh, was the Nazi party. And, and I would like to make the point, and I think it's an important point if we consider it, that in America 2021, America is the progressive left. Now, that sounds like a rather extreme statement, and let me just put some uh, some explanatory comments to it. If we look at the nature of all of our federal or national institutions, all of them are in the control of the of the progressive left, whether we're talking about the the bureaucracy in in Washington, the media, the entertainment industry, uh, corporations, certainly more and more so in that camp, the military, we can see much of it. We can define 2021 America as being the progressive left. Now, what is the importance of that? The importance of that is that we identify that our struggles are not just those of a political party against political party that'll be resolved in the voting booth in in 2022 or 2024 those are important elections but unless those institutional things that define america essentially define america are brought back into objective control i don't want them back into conservative control but objective control rational control i think america no matter what happens in the voting booth bob will not recover from where we are at this point
1: That's such an interesting observation. I'll just pile on and point out that uh, right now, Uh, President Trump had an awful lot of difficulty in trying to get his agenda implemented, and he had people actually slow-walking his mandates, his requirements, his requests, and not implementing, and he had had generals not implementing his requests. So in other words, the deep state, uh, let's call it the deep state, but it's uh, the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., in and of itself was standing in the way of uh, the leadership of the President of the United States
3: and again with that considered and you're absolutely correct i think it was amazing how much uh, president trump did get accomplished yeah. considering he was uh, being resisted by uh, his own people his own people being those that were members of the executive branch of government so yeah i mean and those problems are deeper deepening these are not problems that are uh, uh, that are mutating into a better form they're they're becoming more worse and worse as time goes on. So um, so certainly I am optimistic that uh, President Trump can return to the Oval Office in 2024. I'm optimistic that we can uh, gain control of the Senate in, in, in 2022, perhaps the House. But even that, even within those very optimistic models, that will not alter the very essential nature of America, which is being maintained in institutional America. And there's nothing that is going on right now with big check media uh, in any way uh, the institutions across the board at the federal bureaucracy nothing is interfering with that defining element of america bob
1: Yeah, well, i'm mean, fact that nancy pelosi yesterday uh... scalded the uh, media for not uh... selling quote-unquote selling joe biden's plans for uh... expanding welfare state and so forth so i mean apparently she's saying you're not doing your job <laughs> their job is to report not to sell and not to uh, provide commentary that uh, supports the president's agenda.
3: Yeah, I mean, by by the way, it, somewhat speaking of that, but in the same the same uh, regard. Uh, Bloomberg uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, uh, told us or explained to us how valuable inflation is to the American yeah, economy. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> That, that's just outrageous, and of course, with the quantitative easings and the uh, pr- production of uh, one billion dollars of new money every year by the federal, uh, every month by the Federal Reserve, uh, the inflationary spiral is just is just incredible. That's hitting the American people. Wages are not keeping pace with that uh, inflationary spiral. So, uh, and this is this is a- attacking certainly the middle class uh, right now in America. Uh, so you know there there is it's it's deep trouble and it's a it 's not just a superficial scar tissue bob this is this goes right to the bone of the of the reality of America at this point
1: yeah, so Andy, uh with all that said what 's the solution? what can we do
3: well, other than making me the dictator of america i don 't have a lot that I can offer bob i yeah. 'm um, saying that obviously facetiously, although in back of my mind i 'm saying, yeah, that would work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, you're not getting you're not giving me any agreements, so I'm yeah. just going to move past that. Yeah. If you want to agree, just inter- interfere with my comments here. I'm
1: not agreeing, Andy. Um, <laughs> what, Bob? I'm not agreeing. I'll just pass I, on that I, one. I,
3: I didn't think it would. Yeah. I didn't think you would. You know, I was trying to figure out a way for your audience to define the, the general nature of what we're seeing with the uh, with uh, shortages, with the uh, container ships being stacked up in the uh, in the harbors of of the West Coast with. Perhaps five five hundred thousand containers being uh, put at disuse because they're not being unloaded. The shortage of truckers. The uh, the problems with energy supplies in Turk in uh, in uh, China. Uh, energy supplies in the UK with all of their movement towards renewables. Absolutely a purposeless movement. Uh, now they're going to have to go back to coal, and uh, that is if if they're correct, and I don't think they are. And uh, then the amount of coal usage, we talked about this a bit last week, uh, is expanding in the U.K., it's expanding in Europe, and now it's once again expanding in China uh, because there's, there's been so much pressure put on nuclear power and and the use of uh, of gas uh, that coal has now become the desirable alternative and the available alternative. Yeah. So, so we have this, uh, um, perhaps this... Um, reverse uh, function happening. In, in other words, what they plan to do is X. What is actually happening is Y. And uh, we're seeing a lot of that. To sort of give definition to this, if you'll allow me, I went back to something I wrote for the Gannett newspapers in 1992. Hmm. Uh, this was a, obviously a long time ago. It was a guest column for the uh, for the Gannett. It was at the start of the global warming process. And I think if I can just read a few of these words that I penned at that point, Bob, and will explain how I felt then and how, if I might uh, say, how pre-essent my comments were in 1992. So I, I said in terms of a healthy environment, a concerned decision will be based on the impact on the human experience. If an environmental improvement can be made without any cost, then obviously it should be made. As soon as a cost is incurred, we must evaluate the benefit. To be derived against that cost. Such a decision will have to recognize that humanity has to eat, work, play, have a future, have hope, progress, create, express curiosity, build, laugh, have leisure, and have variety. The environmentalists all too often view the environment as a sacred value independent of man's experience. And, and then I conclude that fairly long uh, guest column with the environmentalists are seduct- uh, seducers, and if their full program is accepted, And acted on it will be far more destructive to man's life than anything that has happened in the history of our species man is the measure of all things except within the environmentalist movement Uh, and that was 1992 when I I bring that up uh, at this point because I think it it defines very accurately exactly what we're seeing right now Uh, we're seeing the uh, general decline of uh, uh, of uh, the the quality of life, not just in America, of course. America being the uh, the economic, political, cultural world leader, and we still are. There's no doubt about that. Is certainly, I believe, dragging much of the world down with us. Uh, whether we can recover or not, I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't. I think uh, there are too many indicators that say that we won't. Let me just point out a recent uh, indicator that I think must be given a lot of attention, but I don't think it will be. Uh, 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 I can't think of his first name at this point, but Shalom, who used to be the head of uh, software development uh, for, the, for the Pentagon, has indicated that the artificial intelligence development of China has far outstripped the ability and the capacity of the United States. In his opinion, this is a very prominent figure in that world, he says that, in his opinion, we cannot catch up. Uh, he says that China will dominate all of the areas that are driven by artificial intelligence uh, intelligence going into the 2030s and, and beyond. Uh, and he also adds to that, Bob, that our defense mechanisms for, uh, for penetration of our systems, he describes it as being the level of a kindergarten process. So if we look at uh, almost any indicator that we can, we can bring to the table, Uh, The increasing level of corporate taxes, the increased level of personal taxes, the availability of energy, which is going to become more profound as time goes on. The availability of essential raw materials and supply materials uh, that are not coming in from China. Uh, I could go on and on with the, the problems that have been artificially generated by poor or political uh, human decisions, Bob. So uh, again, I, I know you always see me as pessimistic, and I, I guess I have to ad- admit to that. Uh, I think right now, uh, as I as I look at what's going on, I think pessimism is the appropriate uh, point of view. Um, and I'm not saying that there isn't a way that Americans can overcome that, but right now, America is, in my estimation, this is a strong statement. America is the problem, Bob.
1: Well. Uh, a lot of the things that you're pointing out are symptoms of the major disease, which is centralization of power, ignoring the Constitution, and uh, not a, uh, following the rule of law. It's it's really tragic what's going on right now. And just in ten months, and whatever the president's uh, done at this point has been so destructive to the United States. And I can't imagine that only 70 uh, percent of the population realizes what's going on. I mean, it, it, the poll numbers are are really. Uh, plummeting for for uh, Biden but irrespective of that i mean we should all recognize what he's doing to the country it's just absolutely at- atrocious not only in terms of uh the economy but also in terms of the human psyche in terms of our our, our well-being and uh you know our sense of hope our sense of uh achievement our sense of uh, ability to uh, achieve just about anything that's being dissipated
3: well let me totally agree with you with just one Proviso. I I hear always, and and you're sort of reinforcing the point I'm going to make, is that uh, we uh, describe these problems as being Biden problems caused by Biden, the Biden administration. Uh, I think we have to become more cognizant of the fact that we're talking about the progressive left. And I have made a a predictive statement that the, the, the left, perhaps before 2022, certainly before 2024, will jettison Joe Biden. Now since we have put all of this on his shoulders and in other words we have put the blame for these things on Joe Biden once Joe Biden is jettisoned by the left i think they will see themselves and the american people may see themselves or the or the political left as having cleansed themselves of the problem and the the left itself will emerge strong uh, after the jettison of, of, of Joe Biden um, that's I such we i don't know going to happen but it sort of worries me when the problems are defined as, a, as the derivative of a specific person rather than being an entire political movement, the progressive left.
1: That's such an important point, uh, Andrew Joppa. Again, I just really appreciate your commentary here on the show. You're absolutely right. They get rid of Biden, they get rid of the problems, and let's move on. That's their point of view, kind of fresh sheet of music. Let's move on. No, that's not the case. Andy, I just tra- really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: And thank you, Bob.
1: My pleasure, indeed. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America, and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content rich.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.com. Dot .org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. He's also the author of several books, his latest, a great read, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. And he writes a column for Newsmax, it's called On Point. His latest, Progressives Game Economy with Big Government Monopoly Money. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
4: Good morning, Bob, and thanks Again, for having me on.
1: Always a, always a pleasure, Professor. So, uh, let's talk about what's happening with the monopoly money and the progressive game movement here. Maybe <laughs> you could tell us about it.
4: Yeah, I think the, uh, the Democrats have got a problem. Of course, they've got Bernie Sanders who's chairing the uh, Senate Finance Committee and he's pushing this $3.5 trillion spending deal on top of infrastructure which really isn't about infrastructure. They're all cradle the grave entitlement programs, and uh, and it's really more like five and a half trillion, more likely, and and of course the you know Joe Biden says, well, it's really not going to cost a dime, you know, it's it's all free money. So I guess it is monopoly money because it's fundamentally free. Uh, I think we may find out it's not, but I think they're scrambling now to to get support for these bills and. Coming at a time when Joe Manchin and 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 Sinema and others are going to be running up uh, against a lot of very hostile constituents for the midterms, and uh, I don't I don't think it really bodes well because we're also seeing inflation ramping up and food prices ramping up and oil prices and gas prices ramping up, Uh, and I I. Yeah, I think they're trying to see just how stupid the public is. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
4: And I have a hunch that when it hits the pocketbook, the public wakes up pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, it's all, you know, what the, the people are already seeing, especially the uh, uh, latest news is about $175 a month it's costing people now compared to before the Biden administration just for food and uh, the essentials for a living, including gasoline. And uh, that's a lot of money when you consider uh the average paycheck in the United States.
4: well, I don't think we see anything yet because uh, you know winter's coming on and there's a a global uh, lack of of uh, energy of you know the coal prices are going up and leaps and bounds as is natural gas and oil and uh, and so the you know, the winter heating season is coming and there's be world competition for. You know, for uh, fuel, yeah. and uh, I think we're going to have a big wake-up call in terms of hey, excuse me, my dog's trying to talk to Magnus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this big wake-up call, I think, in terms of, uh, you know, when it, when we see winter coming and a lot of homes in the in the east freezing and pipes freezing and so on. Yeah. It uh, bodes well. Doesn't bode very well
1: no no it doesn't bode well and uh, you know all this could have been preventable we were energy independent just uh, a year ago unfortunately uh, closed down the pipeline just did a number of things that uh, have been extremely harmful to the economy and now we're paying the price for it and for no reason because the the premise behind the whole thing which is global warming is uh, in my view and much in in many in most cases because of what you've taught me on the show here is that it's it's a total waste. It's it's a, it's a fraud.
4: Well, we see China is really having energy shortages now, and and we see the, uh, the you know the big uh, powwow climate powwow. I think it probably is starting in, on Halloween. I thought people can dress up for that. Uh, <laughs> you, know, to the, you know, the world's on fire again. It's our last chance is a tipping point, and so on. But meanwhile, China and India. Uh, Emissions have been going up and they're building coal plants and uh, and trying to figure out how they're going to weather this storm. Uh, we, I think, somewhat unwisely, you know, Biden shut down the uh, Keystone pipeline and, at the same time, of course, the drilling in Anwar. And then he gave uh, Putin a pass to continue to complete the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Out of the Baltic from Siberia to Germany and then realized oh my gosh uh, this seems to be a political problem uh, uh maybe Opec will produce more oil for us get me out of this you out of this problem uh, or maybe they can assign Kamala harris to take care of it or something but I think they got a real
1: problem I do too and and on top of that uh, they they want to raise taxes now the inflation is already serving as a tax in, in one way but uh, somehow, some way, if they let's hope they don't pass this bill, but apparently, uh, Pelosi at this point is saying we're going to reduce the number down and maybe that's down to two trillion dollars, which is just still unconscionable. I just can't even believe they want to spend that amount of money on uh, human infrastructure, quote unquote, or really what amounts to is, as you said, cradle to grave uh, social programs. Well, I also noticed
4: that in this big spending bill. There's a big chunk allocated for hiring a bunch of IRS agents, mm-hmm. and they want to uh, to make the threshold six hundred dollars for your your bank account. If you have six hundred dollars in your bank account, and you got a problem if you don't, uh, then you know then IRS has uh, has the window into your bank account and make sure you're not you know, buying an extra bubble gum or anything, and and <laughs> that's. That's pretty terrifying. So you got the you know, all this money going for IRS agents. Then you have these entitlements that are camouflaged. They've got the timing schedules so that you know, we don't realize that. You know, so, so we'll just put it in for a couple of years. Well, none of these entitlements are a couple of years because people get addicted to them, and you can't you can't get rid of them. And then the federal government shifts the responsibility to the states, and states get any cases didn't want them in the first place. To get put on the hook, yeah. Then you then you got them playing with the death ceiling, and they're trying to raise that, and and so they've got all of these different agenda items uh, that all contribute to inflation. And uh, when they say they're not going to raise taxes, inflation is one of the most insidious taxes of all because, of course, it hits everybody, and it hits you at the gas pump, and hits you in you buy your groceries. It hits the farmers when they try to refuel their their tractors. Good luck with having plug-in tractors uh, and and putting all these electric vehicles on the grid that are going to create an
2: increased
4: uh, demand for for electrical power, which which we're already in, in shortage of. And so we're going to find out if the windmills and the sunbeams. They work this winter to keep our homes homes warm, but I'm not I'm not real optimistic about that. And I think, meanwhile, as we see, you know, know, heating energy prices are going to just skyrocket because because of even the shortage of coal that Europe's turning to coal now and and trying to find a way out of this morass. At the same time, they're going to have this big climate confab about how to get rid of fossil fuels, and this lunacy is just uh, staggering.
1: Yeah, It is indeed. In fact, uh, with regard to inflation, uh, it gathers and gains momentum, and then there becomes an expectation about inflation, and sometimes it's just hard to stop. I recall back in the 70s, the problem that we were having at the time, it was almost like a mentality that had to be reversed before you could actually get it under control in terms of fiscal terms.
4: Well, here yeah, it looks like a redo of of, of of those days when Jimmy Carter was president and again where you are hearing that word now stagflation where
0: mm-hmm.
4: you know it's hard to get people back to work when we've we paid people not to and uh, and that's uh that, that's kind of a kind of a kind of a lesson I think uh, yeah and it's it's a uh, you know we don't wish bad times to come but from my perspective, I'd rather have them come now before the midterms, mm-hmm. than have them come later. Yeah, when it's when uh, we can't do anything about it.
1: No, no question. Well, back in the day, Jimmy Carter said that it was a general malaise. He blamed it on the people, and I think Joe Biden would probably do the same thing again. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Again, I'll point out the column on uh, point in Newsmax.com. Also, the great book. What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional by Larry Bell. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
4: And Bob, thank you so much.
1: My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Tomorrow, we're going to visit with uh, Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Peter W. Wood has written a book uh, that I look forward to uh, speaking to him about. It's called Wrath. We'll visit with uh, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, and Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Always appreciate your comments here on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.